When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back for our weekly Penn State football show with Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. Seth, we're going to talk about some explosiveness and Penn State football after that big whiteout win Saturday night against Iowa. But before we do, how are you? I'm doing very well. Yeah, it was a fun night. It was it's as electric as it always was. I think there you know, were worries about the rain, but they didn't really come to fruition. It was the second largest attendance crowd in Beaver Stadium history, and you know it was electric. So, so we're rolling along with the season, going to Northwestern this week. Yeah, it seems like people were a little more disciplined with getting those white ponchos, those white Penn State ponchos. I remember when the whiteout concept first started, you had a lot of hunters. That if it was a rainy night, I think it was that Illinois one in 08, maybe uh, there was a bunch of the hunters in the you know full full body orange suit in the top of the stands, but. I think they've got people more on the uh, on the program now. Fifteen years later, so that was interesting to see. Um, before we get started, just a quick reminder: this show is brought to you by Voodoo Brewery in State College. We'll talk about them a little bit more in a little bit. Seth, in the meantime, I wanted to talk about some analytics rankings that have Penn State a little bit lower um, in their rankings than the national polls do. I believe Pro Football Focus has them 18th. The SP Plus rankings from ESPN have them. Um, 10th, I believe the ESPN FPI has them a little bit higher, but then there's, um, I have it written down here. What's the other one? Um, college football graphs, another very popular, uh, tool for people, especially they're very good with, with putting graphics on Twitter. They have Penn state at number nine, obviously they're number six in this week's associated press poll. Um, I think that's probably a reflection Seth of, of the lack of explosiveness we've seen from this offense. I think it's been consistent. It's shown the ability to string drives together. I think that's a healthy thing. But as we know, explosiveness is very oft, often the coin of the realm in college football. And it seems Penn State's suffering in those metrics a little bit here at the one-third point of the season. Is that a point of concern for you that you know not only has the eye test kind of told us they're not as explosive as they were last season, getting the big plays that set up a lot of points, um, but that the, the analytics rankings are are kind of dropping them a little bit lower um, than than the national polls are, which are very contingent on do you just keep winning? Yeah, I think it's probably um, a mix of the lack of explosiveness, like you mentioned, um, but also a pretty easy strength of schedule through four weeks. Um, Iowa obviously was a ranked opponent, but you know they were near the bottom of the AP poll at you know number twenty four when they played and. 
you know, after watching that game, I don't know if they're really worthy of, of a ranking, you know, regardless. So I want to go back to the explosiveness that you kind of talked about before and, and the lack of it. Um, you know, I understand the worries behind that, um, especially when you see some of the top teams in the country um, create those explosive plays and really break games open. But Penn State's winning, you know, in a very unique way right now, and that's by running, you know, tons of plays and owning the time of possession, um, but still scoring, you know, over 30 points in every single game this year. Penn State ran 97 plays to Iowa's 33 um, on Saturday, and they were still able to put up 31 points on arguably one of the nation's top defenses. So I understand the worry, but I do think that there is a reason for the way that Penn State is running their offense right now. Um, And it's about patience, and James Franklin keeps repeating it. It's, you know, he keeps telling the coordinators to not be bored. You know, they're not going to be bored when they're playing a team like Iowa. They're just going to run the plays the right way and they're going to grind it out, as he keeps saying. And and they've done that in all four games without really breaking the game open with an explosive play. I think the running backs are an interesting microcosm of this, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing situation? Because Katron Allen's averaging 4.4 yards per carry. That's not spectacular. Um, you know, but if you get 4.4 yards every time you hand it off, you're going to get a lot of first downs. You're going to run a lot of clock. You're you're going to do things like you did Saturday night against Iowa, possessing the ball for 45 minutes. Um, and then on the other side, you have Nick Singleton, who was this big home run hitter, who definitely built his rushing average on those big plays. But we're not seeing that this season. He's only averaging 3.8 yards per carry. Um, to what degree is that a concern for you? Or do, does Penn State need to have both? Does it need to have the ability to, to kind of grind things out with Katron Allen? but then also be able to hit those home runs as you get into the back half of the schedule and you face teams like Ohio State, like Michigan, and and possibly, you know, if, if you make it into the college football playoff to contend for a national title ostensibly, you're going to need to hit some big plays there as well. Um, how do you interpret those numbers and, and where they stand in comparison to last season? I think that you, you kind of have to look at everything by a game-by-game game basis um, in terms of the game planning. Um, I do think it's a bit eye-opening, and we've talked about it before, that you know neither Singleton or Allen has broken off for a 20-yard rush. That is you know, pretty interesting. And um, But I do think that has to do with the way that they're running the offense right now. And I think that the game plan the first four, few weeks has been to just chip away and run a bunch of plays and run the clock down, um, and it's, it's really worked. Um, to your question, I will say when it gets to – Ohio State and Michigan, you know, that's when your offense really has to find that balance that I think Penn State ultimately perfected at the end of last year, um, where you do have a decent pass game and you also have a good run game. Um, and they're able to work off each other and keep defensive keep defenses on their toes. I mean, you can't really go into a game and and have the defense know what you're gonna run. Um, I think if you look through the first few weeks this year. I think that's part of the reason why Penn State's been so successful um, because they went into this year. Defensive coordinators are saying, okay, this is a first-year starting quarterback. We don't know if they're going to feel so comfortable in the pass game, so we're going to target their run. And now you're starting to see Drew Aller is very efficient, and now he's an option that you really have to game plan for. Um, And I think that's thrown some people off um, when they're trying to stop the run first and foremost. 
So I think as the season goes along, we'll see that start to open up. Um, and, and the offense should should balance. Um, it needs to, um, especially if they want to contend for a college football playoff. I think that's a nice segue, Seth, because my next question was going to be about the passing game and the receivers. Um, we're through four weeks, and there's only one tight end or receiver with more than 100 receiving yards. It's Keandre Lambert-Smith. Trey Wallace, to be fair, is like right there. I think he's got 98 yards, and obviously he's been dealing with some injuries, so I think there's you know, a little bit of a caveat there but still is it a can you contend for a national championship with trends like that or is this again kind of a a game by game situation for you where you know maybe the game plan didn't call for the deeper passes and and such um you know like saturday night i think drew aller only averaged 4.5 yards per attempt um it it just feels though like you can't win a national championship that way or or contend for a college football playoff spot that at some point these guys are going to have to start putting up chunks, um, you know, for Penn state to win games and and stay in contention. And I'm not just staying contention, impress some people. I think that's part of the, the issue here is when we're talking about these analytics rankings, they're not impressing the computers. And in theory, they're not going to impress some people unless you have those, explosive place to kind of point to as reasons for people to get it. So we've seen the value of excitement in the national polls in the first four weeks with Deion Sanders with, I think, kind of a smoke and mirrors type of team. It got them all the way to number 19. Does Penn State have to be more impressive, you know, even if if the game plan is, you know, calling for a little bit less than, than maybe people expect? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I can kind of understand why you look at Penn State and you say this is not a pretty offense by any means. They're not winning by explosiveness. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to say that, like, they've been running their offense incorrectly. This is the only team in the country that hasn't turned the ball over this year. Through four games is extremely impressive. Um, And you don't need to really look into any big analytics site to, to, like, find why that's important. Um, and the fact that they've turned the, that they've forced so many turnovers on defense, so they're getting the ball back, and they're also not turning the ball over at all, um, and scoring over thirty points in every single game. I think that says a lot about how good the offense really is, despite the fact that they're not really winning by explosiveness, which I guess the computers like to see. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Micah Shrewsbury's gritty, not pretty. Uh, mentality from a couple of years ago where they are really just grinding it out every single day. And you might not have, you know, you know, stat padded receivers, but you will have, you know, guys like Khalil Dinkins who are going to show up one game 
um, or Liam Clifford, who's going to show up one game and, you know, make a big impact. Um, you know, talking about the receivers, I think Keandre really has owned that number one role. And he's been, I think, far better than than I thought, at least early on in the season. And, you know, with Trey Wallace hurt, these tight ends have stepped up. Tyler Warren is just dominant in the red zone. Um, and Theo Johnson's kind of that guy in the open field um, that Drew likes to look for. So I think they have a good thing going. And I, I think that they run a lot of multiplayer packages. So it really shares the wealth. So if you're just looking at the box score and you're just looking at stats, I don't know if you're going to get the full story on on how this Penn State offense is truly run. Yeah, I think that's that was what I was about to, to note was that they're, they're spreading the ball around quite well. And there are lots of different guys involved in this offense that have kind of found niches in certain situations. Um, and, and I think that's definitely – you know, a, a positive trend. I think you just do want to see a little bit more in this. I think you want to see a little more balance, right? You, we don't need to be seeing video game numbers here, but some some number two option kind of stepping up and, and solidifying that a little bit, I think is going to be important for Penn State, especially as I'll be curious to see where these numbers are after the UMass game. After you've played Northwestern and UMass, you've played some of the, you know, lower tier teams on your schedule. Because we're talking about their, their strength of schedule. Illinois, West Virginia, and Iowa are probably still better than the teams they're going to see the next couple of weeks. And there are teams around the country that have been able to pad their stats by getting their, you know, group of five FCS games out of the way much earlier. So this might be a better conversation when we get to that midway point in two weeks um, and, and holding up the stats and seeing what they say. But in the meantime, I think that's what you want to see in the next couple of weeks. Seth, I also wanted to ask if there are some lessons from 2016 in this situation. Because I remember writing – Man, Trace McSorley's numbers are not good going into, I think it was either into the Minnesota game or even after the Minnesota game that they won in overtime, that there were some legitimate doubts. They had lost two games. They'd lost to Pitt, um, fallen short on a Trace McSorley interception. They had lost to Michigan in an ugly fashion. And, you know, I didn't. I don't think there were a ton of hints that things were going to go off the way that they did. Um, do you think as, as they get to that second half and they've worked together and there's some cohesion here, that there's potential for them – I don't know, maybe the 2016 offense is a little bit of a high bar, but maybe even getting back to that level that they were last season in terms of explosiveness, can, is, it, is it reasonable to hope for that in the second half when when some of these tougher teams are you know on the docket? I absolutely think it is. And, and the reason is Penn State truly hasn't been challenged that much through any portion of a game um, where, you're, where you have to scrap your original game plan and go to something else that's going to make a spark play to get you back in a game. You know, that's those are kind of when you start to see those explosive plays um, come to fruition is in those moments that Penn State really hasn't had to work with in a game. Um, you know, that's that's also mixed with the fact that Drew Aller has only started four games. Um, he's looked, you know, as good as you know, he possibly could, but, you know, at the same time, he's still young and he's still a little, you know, inexperienced. So, with that experience, you know, um, kind of similar to, I guess, Trace McSorley in 2016 when he, when he got the offense, right, when he got the starting nod for the first time, you know, it takes a little time to truly get control of that offense um, and have everything go the way that you really want it to go. Um, I think things have gone pretty well. Um, that being said, Drew's also only been sacked a single time through four games, which also goes to show hasn't been challenged that much. Um, so we'll see, you know, in, in different opportunities and, you know, different schemes and different teams um, with different scores, 
how he's able to react to that, and especially how Mike Yersich does from the from the box. Going to get into the defense here briefly, and then we're going to talk about some Ohio State, some national headlines. So a lot more to go here on the show today. Uh, but before we do, just a reminder that our sponsor for every episode of this podcast is Voodoo Brewery and State College. Enjoy world-renowned craft beer and delicious cocktails at Voodoo Brewing Company. State College Pub located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, State College. VBC has something exciting going on every day of the week. Join them this fall on Mondays for weekly free play cornhole tournaments or test your knowledge with pub trivia every Tuesday at 6. Wednesday is their game night featuring board games, card games, and the Nintendo Switch. Every Thursday, your boy Dots hosts Bingo, and this is not your Nana's Bingo. Saturday, they have the Nittany Lions and college football on the screen. And Sundays, they will have either the Steelers, the Eagles, or Red Zone for you to enjoy. Seth, um, I think we'd be putting it lightly to say that Iowa struggled against Penn State's defense on, on Saturday night. 76 total yards, only possessed the ball for 15 minutes. Was Was this an example of... Dominant defense, terrible offense, or maybe a combination of both? Oh, it's absolutely a combination of both. I mean, that Iowa offense is usually not great, um, as we've seen the past couple of seasons. This one, I mean, that was – I mean, we, you talk about Brian Ferentz and having the clause in his contract that the Iowa has to average 25 points a game this year to, you know, so his contract doesn't expire. I mean – if that said anything, um, I don't know if he's going to be their offensive coordinator next year. I mean, that was brutal. 33 plays. Uh, but at the same time, Penn State's defense is just spectacular. Um, to go into Illinois and come away with the five turnovers and four interceptions, and then to come back home against Iowa, another Big Ten team, and have four more turnovers – I've never, I've honestly never seen a streak like that before where they're just, they're just getting the ball back. Um, and like I mentioned before, like the offense isn't turning the ball over either. So this is really just making for, you know, one of the more efficient football teams, I think in the country right now. Um, and it, it's, it's been pretty, you know, exciting to see and exciting to see some of these playmakers step up that aren't named, you know, Kalen King, who, you know, should likely be a first rounder at the end of the year. Are the turnovers one of the few things that you can kind of take from from a game in which the defensive was only on the field for 30 snaps? Usually, you know, you've, you've got 50, 60, 70 snaps to kind of analyze, to, to look at a player and how they played over the, the course of time. But, you know, I was looking at P Penn State's participation sheet. So few guys got in because there, was, there were so few snaps. Usually you have guys rotating and stuff like that. How much can you take? you know, moving forward from a game like that when, when you just – the sample size is so small. Well, it makes them even more impressive to me that they were only on the field for 33 plays and they came away with four turnovers. Like, that's that's unheard of. It's truly unheard of. Um, and even still, I mean, you see guys like Chop Robinson in, in the moments that he was on the field, you know, went off. You know, Curtis Jacobs – there were only 33 plays that the defense played and Curtis Jacobs recovered two fumbles. Like that's, that's pretty unbelievable. Um, and it says a lot about this defense and, you know, they would have been on the field longer if they weren't ending their drives so quickly. Um, but at the same time, Iowa also had how many straight three and outs. I mean, I think it was their first, their first drive out there was their only first down until either late in the third quarter or early in the fourth. Um, it was it was pretty 
ridiculous. Uh, and it was, it was, I don't know. It was a combination of, of multiple things, but I think you can still take away any game that you, you know, force four turnovers. They, Iowa quite literally looks like the Steelers out there with all the three and outs, um, <laughs> just with the uniforms and everything. It was quite, quite the, uh, the, you know, PTSD situation for, for Steelers fans who had just watched what they watched Monday night against Cleveland. Things obviously got better Sunday night against Vegas, but at the time it probably didn't feel great on some level for those Pittsburgh Penn state, uh, fans. Um, Seth, let's move a little bit into the Northwestern game here. The analytics we were talking about earlier say that Penn State's pretty much going to dominate this game. What do you need to see from Penn State in a game against an opponent that's reeling like this? Should should we be expecting some fireworks? Um, is this almost maybe, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, kind of hoping for a Penn State Northwestern 2005 situation where that was kind of the game that Derek Williams, Jordan Norwood, I think kind of grew up a little bit and, and asserted themselves in terms of what they were going to be in 05 and then obviously all through their years at Penn State culminating with that 2008 Big Ten championship. I think first things first, uh, Penn State's going to need to see a 20-yard rush here. I mean, we talk about efficiency and how they've been great on both sides of the ball, but like four games without a 20-yard rush and, and Penn State's claiming to have and likely does have one of the top running back rooms in the country – I mean, it, it shouldn't take till week five to have a 20-yard rush. Um, I mean, I guess they do have one, but it was Trey Potts, which is surprising, and that was in garbage time. Um, this is your opportunity right now. If you couldn't do it against Delaware, you should be able to do it against Northwestern. Um, this is a program in turmoil. You know, this isn't – it shouldn't be a close game whatsoever. This should – any remaining question marks should be answered in this game similar to how it was when you go into a game like Delaware. Um, you know, so all those things, I mean, maybe, I don't know if they try to just grind it out the same way that they've been doing it before. Maybe they try a new game plan where they say, okay, we're going to, you know, risk some things here and maybe try to go more explosive. Maybe we start to see that, um, just to keep, you know, Northwestern, but also the other future opponents kind of on their toes, um, when they try to game plan for what's to come when they play Penn state. Speaking of those future opponents, Seth, Ohio State is looming, but they played you know their biggest game of the season to date, the biggest game that either Penn State or, or Ohio State has played so far. It was kind of an ugly show in, in South Bend between Ohio State and Notre Dame. Um, not many points, took a late touchdown drive for them to win. It's kind of not the Ohio State that, that we've become accustomed to seeing, um, you know, especially against like non-Michigan, non-college you know college football playoff caliber teams. Um, does it give you any hope that that this might be a game, given what we've been talking about and the lack of explosiveness, that that maybe Penn State doesn't need to go out there and hang 40 points to beat Ohio State, that it doesn't have to be a shootout like it has been for so much of the, the James Franklin era, at least since 2016 when um, you know things started to, to kind of kick into gear post-sanctions era, that you know, when you look back at the history of Penn State Ohio State games that Penn State wins, it was that 16 game where you block a kick. It was played in the 20s. Um, you know, you think of 08 where it was a very low scoring game at the shoe. You think of 05, uh, 17 10 final score. Do you think things are kind of leading into a trajectory where you can imagine a game that's a little bit more suited to Penn State's strengths than this matchup has been in, in recent years? Yeah, I think that. 
I mean, Penn State, Ohio State's always been a good matchup. Um, but this year, especially, I've been saying for the longest time, like this is the one that has just fallen right into Penn State's lap and they should, you know, get it done. Um, but I think that that Notre Dame game kind of said a lot about, you know, how good they can be on offense, which, you know, might not be, like you said, um, able to put up, you know, 40 points on this Penn State defense. Um, I think that it is going to be a grinded out type of game that Penn State has really, you know, prided itself on, especially the past two weeks against its first Big Ten opponents. Um, you know, Ohio State likes to run the ball, too. Uh, Travion Henderson is, you know, one of the best running backs in the country, and they like to go to him a lot. Um, and McCord isn't necessarily, you know, a deep threat. I, I think they like to take their time as well. Um, but what you're able to do with Marvin Harrison Jr. kind of opens up the field for you. So we'll see what happens there. It's, it's a really interesting matchup. And I think Ohio State is still in the process of answering a lot of the question marks that they had you know, in the off season, I think the defense is, you know, maybe one of the best we've seen from them in a, in a long time. Um, but that offense and, and the efficiency that we've grown so accustomed to, you know, over the past few years, it, it just really, it's lacked. Um, so we'll see if by the time Penn state goes to Columbus, you know, maybe they figure that out by then, but you know, at the moment, I, I think there are, you know, some worries with that Ohio state offense. Buckeyes have been in the news for a couple of other reasons this week. I'm going to start with um, Gene Smith's comments in Congress about, you know, how the, how the game of recruiting is, is changing, you know, under our feet pretty much every day. And that now, you know, and I, via NIL schools are having to pay $5,000 just to get players to visit, not even to commit, not even to, to, you know, sign and, and, and be on campus, but just to, to visit on the recruiting trail. Um, and, and I know James Franklin addressed that today, Seth, so I'm just going to turn that over to you. What do we take from, from that, and, and what, was, what were James Franklin's comments about it? Yeah, so James was asked about it, and he brought up um, last year. There was a question, and Ohio State had, had pulled a number. There was a number that was said, and numbers are never said with NIL. So you know, I believe I, – I don't, I don't remember exactly what the number was when Ryan Day – said, we need this amount of money to be able to compete for this many years. Um, and James was asked about it and asked if that number was, you know, consistent with what Penn State, um, you know, had to be able to fund to, uh, you know, be able to compete. And he brought that up and, and said again, you know, the number has to be the same because we're competing with the same people. So it's, it's a similar type of thing. Like they're, they're all everyone in the country that is truly competing for a national championship is kind of going through the same issues and difficulties as the other, you know, because they're recruiting the same people and they're competing with one another. So why would it be any different was basically what he said today. Um, what I think is just really interesting about the NIL sphere right now is the fact that <laughs> no one talks numbers. Like we act, like we know so much about NIL and we say, um, oh, his and this team's NIL isn't, you know, good or this team's NIL is far more superior. They're stealing recruits because their NIL is good. It's like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean to have good NIL? We don't know numbers. You know, there are websites that can, you know, 
predict and evaluate how much a player should be worth, but we don't know how much money they're actually making in a year. And if you ask the player post game, they're not going to tell you. So I think what's most interesting about Gene Smith's comments is that he did say a number. He said 5,000 and for recruiting visit. I mean, that's, that's a, it's a little extreme, you know, when you're, when you're giving $5,000 to a player and I don't know exactly how that works. Like whether you just give him a check for 5,000, I don't know what that means. Um, but I mean, that that's relatively eye opening and kind of says a lot about where we are um, in college football right now. So that's definitely pretty interesting. Well, and to your point about, you know, numbers, Seth, I, I think that is why Micah Shrewsbury's departure w- was such a, a stark thing for the Penn State community, because he was willing to say in a press conference that we're 13th or 14th in the Big Ten in terms of NIL in basketball, um, certainly not in football. But that that really jump-started – it just took that little nugget, I think, to, to worm through Penn State um, circles and, and for people to kind of wake up a little bit to it. Because I think you had, in the first couple of years of NIL, a couple of program or a few programs that said, we're definitely going to exploit this. Think of Texas A&M. You think of – I think Ohio State's in that group of, of teams that, that really embraced it from the start and said, you know, we're going to attack this. And I think yeah, then you had programs like Penn State that were a little bit more cautious – and needed to be shaken a little bit by something like the Micah Shrewsbury, uh, Micah Shrewsbury departure. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out now that I think a lot more teams are, are to your point, kind of competing in that same world and saying, we all understand that this is the game now. Um, and, and I think that that gives the players ultimately a little bit more power to say, oh, well, instead of just one program chasing me with a bunch of money, now I can kind of play them off each other and I can use – you know, my recruiting visit just as a point of leverage. Um, I'll be curious to see how those those conversations unfold. One other note on Ohio State this week, Ryan Day went in on Lou Holtz, um, once of uh, Notre Dame, later of ESPN for, for people of my generation who know him from arguing with Mark May after 2 a.m. Eastern on the East Coast on, you know, the college football show with Reese Davis, really helped, really prepared Reese Davis for college game day. I feel like that's an easier job for him than dealing with Lou Holtz and Mark May was back in the day. But uh, Ryan Digg goes after Lou Holtz for some comments he made on the Pat McAfee show um, saying that, you know, we're a tough football team. I don't know where the narrative came from that we're not a tough football team. Um, He was indignant. Um, James Franklin, after the game, I think this got buried a little bit in the national conversation, but, you know, he and some of the players said pretty openly, yeah, we wanted to bury these guys after what they did in 2021 you know, complaining about us, like milking injuries and, and stuff. Um, we felt disrespected. Um, and and we, there were signs. Deion Sanders was was making comments this week. It was a very busy week for, for teams with a chip on your their shoulder. Seth, I'm going to ask the question in terms of Penn State this way. Do you get a sense that this team is hungry and not just like satisfied that you, you won a Rose Bowl last year, that you kind of reasserted that, um, you know, post 2016 success. Do, do you get the sense that these guys really do want this, and and that that it's it's a little bit more of a hunger than you know maybe was outwardly in that program for the last few years? I mean, the expectation after you win a Rose Bowl and return most of the players on that team kind of has to be, we want more, right? Um, in regard to Iowa and the the hunger that that the people returning from that 2021 team had. Um, that was pretty interesting. You know, that was something that was asked all week before the game and 
you know, every player, when they're asked about 2021, they just say, oh, we're just focused on this game. Uh, we're not thinking about the past. And then post game, you know, some of the players start to speak out a little bit, um, specifically Chop Robinson, who explained his celebration after a, after a strip sack was a flop on the ground. I don't know if you saw that. Um, the flop was, you know, kind of in regard to Iowa's special teams coordinator in 2021 who flopped on the ground saying that Penn State was faking injuries. Um, James Franklin actually showed the video of that coach in, in like after practice. He showed it to the whole team, and Chop Robinson wasn't even on the team then. Um, but he was so distraught by it that he, you know, he ended up doing the celebration when he had the strip sack and explained it post game. But it's, I mean, that was a little different than the Lou Holt, than the Lou Holt situation. Um, but nonetheless, you know, pretty electric for, you know, a team to kind of come back from that and um, really show it to Iowa um, in a shutout victory and, um, I don't know where that special teams coordinator is now, but you know I'm sure he's not too happy. Yeah, so I, I you know I love it when college footballs like this when you get a little bit of spice when you get a little a little I don't want to use the word rivalry but but just salt and and getting to see a little bit of personality because I think programs had for a long time really retreated from that but now that you're in a social media age and an NIL age I think people understand that 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 entertainment value still still matters to to interest in the sport and ultimately lifts. Um, everybody. Seth, I want to talk about the national picture a little bit. I think there were some obviously very interesting games this weekend. Clemson falls short in their bid to upset Florida State. What do you think is the biggest threat to a second Big Ten team making the college football playoff right now? You and I have talked a couple of times now about how, you know, Penn State probably has a decent path if they can beat Ohio State or Michigan, get to 11 and 1. Going undefeated is probably going to be difficult. Um, in this Big Ten East division. So you're probably hoping, if you're a Penn State fan, for a path for two Big Ten teams to make the college football playoff. But um, you have a ton of parity in the Pac-12. You have a bunch of good teams there that are all going to be testing each other. You have Florida State with an already very strong resume, wins over LSU and Clemson, and you know not a whole lot left in front of them. In front of them, I think they have Miami and Duke. But if you've already beaten the two teams I mentioned, I think you're probably feeling pretty good about the rest of your schedule if you're the Seminoles. Then um, Texas, if they get through the Red River rivalry, it's starting to look like they have a pretty clear path. If you're a Penn State fan, who are you rooting most against in these coming weeks in, through the lens of hoping that that you, you're the second Big Ten team in the playoff? I feel like it's hard to say kind of who you're rooting against at this point. I feel like what truly stands in the way of Penn State um, at this point in the season is not having a strong enough schedule. Um, I mean, it, it, it is Ohio State and Michigan, and I guess Iowa was technically a ranked opponent. I don't know if they will be at the end of the season. We'll kind of see how that goes. But, I mean, you talk about Florida State's schedule and, you know, already having, you know, wins over Clemson and, and LSU. And um, then when it comes to SEC teams are obviously going to be playing multiple ranked opponents this year. Penn State won't necessarily have that outside of the Ohio State and Michigan game. Um, so what it really comes down to for them is to win under any circumstances. You know, that is that is truly what is going to get them into the college fo football playoff this year um, will be if they're able to win out or come close enough to doing so and 
you know, potentially winning the Big Ten championship. It's it's a hard year to make the playoff this year um, with how things have shaped out um, so far. So, I mean, it basically just is, you know, you got to win. You know, you got to win the games that you should win, and you got to win the games that you maybe aren't supposed to win either. That's 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 what's kind of standing in their way. Yeah, I think it's just very interesting in that you know so much of Penn State's schedule is weighted toward the backs, but we're seeing we're seeing some of these teams that that are getting their work done early, and you just wonder what part of the conversation that's going to be by the time we get to early December. Um, Seth, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Penn State picked up three recruiting wins this week, uh, notably a four-star recruit Aliquippa out of Aliquippa locally. Um, I know a lot of Pitt fans had their eye on that one. Um, is that the whiteout effect in in full force right there of of bringing those people into those atmosphere in that atmosphere and and basically letting it sell the program to some pretty important recruits? Yeah. So Penn State they were able to pick up DJ McClary, who was a four star linebacker um, from New Jersey on Sunday, and then like you mentioned, Tyke Hayes, um, Aliquippa they they got him on. Um, on Monday and then earlier today, Brady O'Hara, another Pittsburgh kid, um, a tight end, they were able to to bring him in um, with that 2025 recruiting class. To your point, you know, the whiteout is just an unbelievable recruiting tactic, and I think it's grown um, over the years. You know, I, we talked about the production of it and, and the importance of it last week, um, but now we're starting to see some of those – you know, some of those things kind of come to fruition in terms of how is this going to play out, not just as a benefit to or as an advantage to playing in the game, but potentially on the recruiting trail as well. Um, and, you know, it's big every year. I think we've seen some mid-game um, commits before um, from the whiteout. And now we're just seeing, you know, the post-whiteout um, trail of, 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 of commitments start to roll out here. Um, and, you know, they might not be done yet. You know, I don't know if they're 100% finished with their 2024 class as well, um, but it is interesting to see them, you know, really start to get a head start on their 25 class right now. You know, that's a nice bonus for Penn State fans who had to stand out in the rain. They did their part to uh, create the spectacle that the program is now using to get some guys into the program that the fans can get excited about for years to come. Seth, great conversation today. Any final thoughts before we sign up here? Sign off here during Northwestern Week? No, I'm just looking forward to hitting the road. I have not been to Northwestern before, but, you know, proximity to um, Chicago, I'm sure, is great as compared to some of the other destinations you have to travel to throughout the year. Yeah, it's nice. I'm also from Chicago, so I get to go home. Um, Ryan Fields, nothing spectacular, but, you know, a nice home-cooked meal is. Well, hey, say say hello to the Angles, and um, we will talk to you again next week, Seth. All right. Sounds good, Adam. Take care. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. <laughs>